moment I just want to ask is there is there any sports fans here this morning this is a moment where you are allowed to cheer any nervous Springbok fans um, if you're a sports fan this is a this is a great season in the calendar uh, those of you who've missed what's been happening in South Africa we are busy with the rugby world cup um, and there are some of us, I believe, here that's nervously expectant for this evening, hoping for the best, supporting our team. But it's not just the Rugby World Cup, it's also the Cricket World Cup. And it would not be fair to acknowledge those fans who've gone through so many agony in the past. <laughs> and if you're like me, Nolan, there's this little bit of hope that's rising up in your heart. Maybe, maybe, maybe the Pratias can do something this time that nobody's expecting. <laughs> it's just a great time to be a sports fan. So many good things happening. And, and there's something about sport that just draws people in. Maybe it's that competitiveness. Maybe it's the, the battle, the ability to overcome, the ability to win, to conquer, that just draws people in. But there are occasions in sport where the one team is just far better than the other team. I wanted to use some soccer examples, but I thought I will offend people. Those who do not support Manchester United. But there are occasions <laughs> when just one team is just, on paper, they're just far better. They're stronger. They've got better players, better coaches, better resources, better opportunities. Uh, on paper, they should always beat the other so-called weaker team. And that's normal in sport. But there's occasions where the, the stronger, better team, metaphorically, don't pitch up. They just don't bring their A, a game. They're just not there. And then we see the underdog beating the stronger team. Those moments we, we'd call upsets. An upset. When this seemingly weaker side beats this team that just didn't pitch up. An upset. When it comes to Christianity, um, there are moments where we think and speak about other people in churches. We will hear testimonies of what people and churches are doing um, in the world. We will hear how they're actively sharing their testimony, actively sharing the gospel, how they are attempting great things for God, how they are seeing miracles, how people are coming to faith, how they are changing society and changing communities and impacting nations. And we would listen to those stories and we would say something like, they are radical. God. Last week at the World Conference, um, there was a moment where they had some of our leaders 
from a restricted nation or creative active nation, meaning a nation where you're persecuted for your faith, share some of these stories. I don't think there's a person in the room that didn't have tears in their eyes. They radically follow Jesus is a phrase that was frequently used by us. In some way, when people are doing great things for God, we say they are radical. But the reality is, the church that is actively involved with the mission of God should not be the surprise. We shouldn't go, wow, radical. That should be the norm. And I want to suggest this morning that the church that is not concerned with the mission of God, the church that is not actively involved with the mission of God, should be the upset rather than the norm. Society should look at churches and go, similar like we would have done with a sports team, and go, that's an upset. When the church of God is not involved with the mission of God, it's an upset. And when the church of God is involved with the mission of God, it's not radical. It's just normal if you think about who God is. It shouldn't be an upset. And during our reach week, we're reminding ourselves that what we do here should be normal. It shouldn't be extravagant. It shouldn't be called radical. It should be just be the normal way of followers of Jesus. And that's what we're going to speak about this morning. So let's close our eyes and let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you were missional first towards us. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we look at your word, that we'll not fall into condemnation and only see the areas where we fall short, Lord, but that your word would lift us up and bring truth to our lives, that your word would guide us in your way to a greater understanding of who you are and what you've called us to. I pray that through your word and by the power of your spirit that you would enable us this morning to follow you and to listen, not just listen to your word, but to apply your word to our lives in such a way that you will be glorified. Because Lord, we know on our own, left to our own understanding and our own abilities and our own strength and our own will, we'll fall infinitely short of giving you the glory that you deserve. So Lord, we humbly submit ourselves this morning onto your word, onto your spirit, and we pray that your perfect will be done. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray this, amen. So a church involved with the mission of God should be the norm, not the surprise. So we have to ask ourselves the question, why is the mission of God seen as a radical mission? Why do we hear, when we hear people attempting great things for God, do we go, that's radical? Why is the mission of God seen as a radical mission? I mean, think about it. God is a missional God. God sent His Son, Jesus, on a mission. Not on a field trip, not on vacation. God didn't go, hey, Jesus, take a break from ruling the world and go to earth. 
God the Father sent the Son by His Spirit on a mission to this world. God is missional. And His mission was clear from the start. Jesus would come into this world to redeem back the world to God. To defeat sin and death. And to make a way for people to experience God. And the only way that Jesus could do this, the only way that Jesus could be missional, that Jesus could redeem back the world, was by radical sacrifice. What Jesus did was radical. Gave up his rights and became a man. The creator became that what he created. And he came and he lived amongst us. He came and, and became part of the mess of this world. But in spite of the mess of this world, in spite of other people's sin, Jesus lived a sinless life in honor of the Father. Something that no one of us can do. Full knowing that He came to save people and the very people that He came to save, those that He created, will crucify Him, insult Him. And brutally execute him. But to honor God, radically, he stayed faithful. Up until the point of death, when Jesus was crucified on the cross for our sins. That's radical obedience. On the cross, knowing that this would not be the ultimate suffering. The pain that he's experiencing in his body will not be the ultimate suffering. It will happen when, once he blows out his last breath and he cries out in agony, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? It's the moment when his earthly body dies that he will face the penalty of sin. With the wrath of God, the anger against the sin of the world, will be taken upon Jesus. That's radical. Knowing that this is what he's going to face, he asked the Father, Father, if it's your will, would this cup pass me by? Yet not my will, but your will be done. I willingly submit. Even if this doesn't work out and turn out the way that I'm hoping for, I willingly submit. That's radical. And Jesus dies on the cross. And something happened that we cannot see and something happens that we cannot fully comprehend. It takes a penalty of sin upon him. Suffering of this world. Three days later, he's raised by the Spirit of God, by the power of God. And in that moment, Jesus proves that not only what he said is true, that he is the Son of God, but he proves that he has finally defeated sin and death. And nothing can stand against the kingdom of God. That's radical. Don't you know anyone else that's been raised from the dead. That's radical. That's the mission of God. A radical mission of Jesus. Not us. It was Jesus' mission that was radical. 
And whenever Jesus spoke about this redemptive plan for the world, about God's heart for the world, about what's going to happen and his radical move, he had nations and people in mind. Luke 24, verse 46 to 47. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness for sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. This was a radical statement towards the Jews. For them, the Messiah was coming to liberate Israel. And Jesus says, I will suffer, I will be raised, and my kingdom will be preached to all nations. I'm wondering, as a young Jew listening to Jesus, did they in that moment hear the full gospel that that what Jesus is about to do and going to do is not just for them, but even the nation that is oppressing them. All nations. Matthew 24 verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Those of us who might be caught up in online conspiracy theories about the end times, I remind you that in 2020 there was a lot of conspiracy theories going around as well. I remind you throughout history it's been proclaimed this is the end times. The Word of God says, once the whole world knows, then the end will come. Not saying it's not close, but the whole world needs to know. Then the end will come. This gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth. Jesus' last command to his disciples, the last, very last thing that he says to them, has this mandate to go to the nations. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all the people that you like. People that love you back. People that bless you. That always wants the best for you. People that's easy to be around. People that eat the same things you eat. Listen, just make disciples of other good people. Thinks the same, acts the same, lives the same. Why don't you just make disciples? People that already believed. It's just so much easier. But Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I will be with you as you go. To the ends of the earth. To all nations. It is clear that the gospel, the message, the good news of Jesus was not just intended for the individual but for the whole world. It is clear that yes, when Jesus embarked on this mission, he had you in mind, but not just you. He saw nations. He saw all people. The redemptive plan of God was never intended to be exclusive. The mercy and grace was never intended only for the individual or only for one nation or only for one ethnicity group. It was supposed to be for everyone. 
and it's still supposed to be for everyone. God is a missional God. So why is it considered radical when God's people act missional? We're simply living out that what God has already done. The church is supposed to be on a mission. The church is supposed to be concerned with those that is not part of the church. If the church is not concerned about those that's not part of the church, not part of the family of God, we cease to be the family of God. As soon as a church becomes mindful only of themselves and what needs to happen and what's important here and, and only about us, then we cease to replicate the character of God when God did not think about himself but was laying to lay down his life for us. Church cannot be mindful only of the church. God was missional and the church should be missional. God is mindful about the empty chairs around us. We should be mindful of it. See, we find God's summary, God's redemptive plan, His plan, His strategy for the church in Romans 10. Romans 10 verse 13 to 15. It's a really simple breakdown by the Apostle Paul of how the whole world will know. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But there's some practical things. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How can you call on someone if you don't believe in them? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? In these three short verses, we find God's strategy his redemptive plan in the hands of the church for this world. It's really simple. Someone needs to be sent. Someone needs to live beyond themselves. Someone that needs to be not mindful only of themselves. Someone needs to be sent. And once they're sent, they are to proclaim the good news of Jesus. That's what this word preach means. To proclaim the gospel. So as you're going, you need to proclaim, you need to be testifying about the salvation work of Christ. The redemptive work of God in your life. Preach the gospel. People will hear this. It's not just live in such a way so that others look at you and go, that's weird, I wonder why. The gospel needs to be preached so that they will hear the message. If the church stops speaking the gospel, we'll lose the power of the gospel. They will hear the message, and some will believe. And some will cry out to God, call on the name of Jesus, and God will save them. Not the church, not me and you. God will save them. It's really simple. Some are sent to proclaim some will believe, call unto God, and God will save. What's the church's role? Go and preach. What's God's role? I will be with you, and I will save. How we respond and participate to the mission of God is primarily determined, not only, 
but primarily determined by how we answer two questions. Two really simple questions. Think about Romans 10. We have to answer these two questions. What do you believe about who is sent? And what do you believe about who is sending? Simple questions. How will they know if they have not heard? How will they call on the name of Jesus? The gospel has not been proclaimed. And how will this happen if they are not sent? Who do you believe is sent? And who do you believe is sending? I believe we find insight by looking at this word, sent. A Greek word here used for sent is apostello. It's the same Greek word that we use for the word that we know as apostolic. And it means to be sent, to be commissioned, and more practically, sent on a defined mission by a superior. So when asking the question, who is sending, we need to understand it is Jesus who is sending people into his mission. Jesus is the one that's sending people. It's not the church sending people. It's not the pastor sending people. It's not mission organizations sending people. It is Jesus commissioning people into the mission of God. And our response to the mission of God is not a response to an invitation from people. It's a response to the commission of Jesus. See, if we believe it's people that's sending us, it's a church that's sending us, there's more, enough re- more than enough reason for us don't, not to respond. That's why children respond when mom says something and don't respond, or they don't respond when mom says something, but they do respond when dad says something. Because they know. It's not always the case. But you respond differently when your boss asks you something instead of a coworker. If it's the church that's sending people, there's more than enough reason for you to think why you don't have to go. Because there's a lot of other people in the church that's not going. The church is not perfect. Who is the church that the church can tell you how you should live? Let's be honest. That pastor guy, nice of him to tell people to love others and do stuff. What is he doing? I mean, let's be honest for a moment. If it's people sending us, we have more than enough reason not to obey. But if you believe that it's Jesus commissioning us, then your response the mission of God is a response to Jesus. And what you believe about Jesus will determine how you respond. Simple question is then, is he worthy? Is he worthy to respond to? This is a great quote by David Livingston, a missionary to Africa, famous missionary. He said, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, 
how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? See, when we think Jesus calling us into his mission is a sacrifice, then we go, oh, that's radical. But if we see that he is worthy, then our response to him who is worthy, that was radical, is normal. Makes sense. Which brings us to the second question. Who is sent? Who is Jesus sending on his mission? Is it only a elect few that was called to full-time vocational ministry? What do we believe? Is it left for the professionals to do it? Is it only a specific calling for some people to be missionaries to different nations? Is this calling confirmed by emotion. So if you feel it, then you know it's Jesus. If you don't feel it, then it must be the pastor. Who is God sending? Who is sent? Yes, some people are called to full-time vocational ministry. Yes, some people are called to be missionaries. And yes, sometimes God does confirm what He's doing in your life through emotions. But it's not only that. I believe God calls everyone into full-time ministry. You might have a specific call to be a teacher. You might have a specific call as a mom and a dad. You might be living in a specific area in the city. You might have specific gifts that makes you have certain hobbies. There's a lot of specific things that God has placed on your life, but there's one thing that's general for the whole church, for everyone that's a follower of Jesus, and that's the call to be part of his mission. God does not go, oh, Cindy, you're a mom. I'm going to excuse you for a while. Just wait. The mission can wait. Oh, dear Dre, you're living with Warren. That must be tough enough. <laughs> the mission can wait. I'm trying to pick on one of the men now. <laughs> the school to be sent is for everyone that has experienced the sacrificial mission of Jesus. Everyone that has radically benefited from his sacrifice. We are called into his mission. And Jesus is calling you into that. See, when Jesus saved us from sin and death, he didn't just save us, but he also gave us new purpose. To be involved with this mission. God has placed the redemptive plan for the world in the hands of the church. And he asks us, will you be faithful? I will go with you. I will be with you to the ends of the earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given. I will, I will support you. I will empower you. I will make people believe. But will you be faithful? with a mission 
Will he be faithful in the mission to see his glory and his kingdom spread throughout the whole world, to all nations? thought about this last night. When God created man, he gave them very specific instructions that they would rule the world and that they would multiply. They would spread out. This is before sin came into the world. This is after Jesus, after God established his image in people. Something of his glory in people and he said, multiply and spread my image throughout the world and rule. Because of sin, we've lost that. But when Jesus restores us back into the image of God, back into relationship with God, back into purpose of God, back into his power, that purpose is restored and we are called to multiply and spread all over the world and establish God's glory and to rule over sin. Just as God the Father sent Jesus into this world with a mission, so Jesus is sending each one of us into this world with his mission. The question is, do you believe you are sent? And do you believe he is sending you? Let's close our eyes. Before I just pray for us as a church this morning, I want you to give an opportunity to think over those two questions. Do you believe you are sent? And do you believe God is sending you? And some of us might be facing some obstacles sitting here this morning thinking, I cannot be sent. My life's not sorted out. There's so many things that I'm struggling with. There's so many obstacles. There's so many challenges. The question is not what are you facing in going. The question is, are you sent by Jesus? For a moment, don't you want to pray into that? If you feel like it, don't you want to sincerely ask God, I choose to believe that you are sending me. Would you show me where you're sending me to? Would you show me where you want me to proclaim your word? Maybe a last prayer. Lord, would you give me a name of who you're sending me to? Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for the radical sacrifice that you've already made. We thank you that we can benefit 
from your redemptive mission, Lord, and that we can stand here this morning as children of God, not fearful of what would happen after this life, not fearful of death, Lord, assured of eternity with you, assured that you are by your spirit changing us, doing things inside of our souls, assured that we are forgiven. But Lord, we don't just wanna be benefits of your sacrifice, Lord, beneficiaries, Lord. We want to respond to who you are. And by faith, Lord, this morning again, we're saying, you are worthy, Lord, and, and we, we believe, Lord, that you're sending us, that you are entrusting us with your redemptive plan for the world. Lord, we want to be faithful, but we need you. We need you to give us courage and boldness to speak your word. We need you to give us courage to take that first step in carrying your mission. Lord, we need your truth and the guidance of your spirit to look beyond our own circumstances and our own challenges. And Lord, we need your truth to go beyond the lies that is keeping us from following you. And therefore this morning, Lord, we pray as we say yes to your call, yes to your mission, Lord, may you come and do something by your spirit. May you awaken our souls for your truth. May you empower us and give us that courage to go. For your kingdom's sake and your glory, Lord. Not for us. May you use us to spread your image of love. Your glory to the ends of the earth. Because Lord, it's about you, it's not about us. Lord, may we see others come to faith because they call on your name. We pray this in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. God's mission is not just to the nations. It's towards everyone. And as we're speaking on nations, God might be placing a name of a family member, a friend, a co-worker in your heart, and God is sending you on a mission to there where he's placed you. May we deem him worthy to follow. May you step out in courage and boldness and say, yes, Lord, I'll go. But this is a week where we specifically focus on how we are doing this as a church in the nations. And I want to ask, Nolan, if you could put up the next photo there. I want to give you an example. Um, in our 2016 World Conference, that also happened in South Africa, there was an appeal from our international family that we will, not just we, all over the world, will put attention and focus on Europe. So 20 leadership, we came back and we said, well, we feel God is doing something and we're going to be part of it. And we started getting together and we planned and we looked at names of leaders. And eventually from this congregation in 2019, we sent Philip and Marijke to Utrecht. We've shared a couple of times on them, what they're doing in the nation there, uh, what they are busy with reaching people in the Netherlands. And the first photo there is me, uh, about a month ago, I had the privilege of going ministering there in Utrecht. Um, purpose of the trip was not just to go and minister there, but to help think them through what's the next steps for them as a church plant. Because for the last four years, 
we've been governing them, leading them, guiding them, helping them, supporting them in establishing that church. But they've grown to a place where we need to think, well, what's next? Which brings us to the second photo. It just seems like a couple of old guys sitting around the laptop, but that's a very significant moment that happened at our World Conference last week. Where we, as Tron's local elders, officially stepped away in governing that church and handed over our Utrecht church to the governing leadership of the locals. People reached in their church. Wow. Uh, a massive moment for us as a citywide church because we saw God sending people, establishing a church there. And now we'll still support them. We're still gonna send missions. I'm still gonna check in with Philip but they are not governed anymore by Trunk's local elders. They are governed by local leadership. And we can celebrate that there's a church established in Europe because of people in this church that's been faithfully praying, faithfully giving, and going. When we celebrate God in the nations, it starts with you sitting in these chairs. And yes, as a church, we're incredibly proud of this moment. But it starts with people saying yes to God. And that's what reach is about. Reach your neighbor. Reach your family. Reach your co-worker. But reach gives us the ability to reach nations in a very practical way. By praying, giving, and going. It's... Mm -hmm.